Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name is Tim. And this is Chris. This is Adam. And today, instead of giving the hot take review of a game we just finished playing, we're going to be talking about two expansions that we've gotten to play recently, and they're expansions for some of our favorite games. The first is going to be the Tapestry Fantasies and Futures expansion, and the second will be Dune Imperium Immortality. Now, before we get into discussions about those board games and expansions, I always ask a question on social media. Usually it's a poll, but this week I just brought up a topic and I want to hear what you guys think about it. I don't know if you heard this, but this week Gloomhaven, after five years, fell out of the number one spot on Board Game Geek and uh, Brass Birmingham is the new winner. It took number one. Now this happened, I think, last Saturday morning and then by Sunday morning, Gloomhaven had it back again. What? And then by Monday morning, Brass Birmingham got it back and Gloomhaven had dropped down to number three. And this all happened because after the switch, after Brass Birmingham won, a bunch of people went on Gloomhaven and Brass Birmingham's ratings page and started giving it like one ratings, you know, like bad ratings. And so both of them have now dropped a little bit from where they were, but uh, Brass Birmingham ended up keeping the top spot and Gloomhaven sitting right behind the um, Pandemic Legacy season one. So interesting week in the BGG ratings. And I asked the question on social media. I said, how long is Brass Birmingham going to keep that spot? So what do you guys think? Yeah, this is interesting, Tim. I've been watching this whole thing kind of unfold and it's, I I don't know, I guess it's I I don't know if it's specific to board gamers or human humans in general, but to see all these people going and rating Brass Birmingham ones, and then the Brass Birminghammers going and rating Gloomhaven ones, you know, I, I'm not going to lie, up to my rating, I think it was like, I don't know what it was, 9.5 or something like that for Brass Birmingham. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make it a 10. I don't care. So <laughs> <laughs> I went the positive way with it because I do love that game. I don't know. We can get all into it, but it's just a an interesting phenomenon that seems to happen on Board Game Geek. And it's not the first time I was reading a little article by one of the curators of Board Game Geek, and he said, it, this tends to happen. You get these votes and counter votes, and it's just a whole warfare on the the number one, number two, number three ranked game. So I think it's pretty interesting. Well, I love the way that Tim described it. I'm picturing this little slap fight between Gloomhaven and Brass Birmingham. Honestly, I think that whole thing about hate voting or, Adam, in your case, love voting, I, I guess is what you call it, I think that's silly. I think you should just rate a game what you think it's worth and wherever it shakes out, it ought to shake out. I mean, I can't imagine getting that riled up because my favorite game isn't number one or some other game that I really dislike is number one. I may be surprised by the the rankings or I may not like the rankings or whatever, but I don't know. I just don't put that much stock in it. And in particular here, neither of these are games that I feel real passionately about. I mean, Gloomhaven, I just really don't have that much interest in trying at all. And Brass is a game that I I like fine, but it's not one I get excited about. So frankly, I I don't care which one of them wins. Do you you guys have a sense for, do you think Brass Birmingham is going to stick around for a while? Or do you think something's going to come out and knock it out pretty quickly? I guess that was your original question there. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. Ark Nova has some huge momentum. It looks like it's jetting towards the top pretty quick but right now i think they're a full like i don't know four tenths of a point rating above anything that's close so i think argnova has the best chance if eclipse gets its hands into more gamers or if more gamers rate eclipse i think it has a good i think it has one of the highest average ratings going right now just not the number of votes so it's interesting to look at these numbers 
I guess the the real issue is here, a correspondent from the field, Board Game Chatterbox, this is her home turf, Brass Birmingham, this area. And I think she single-handedly created like 100 to 200 accounts and put all those ones in there on Gloomhaven. I don't know what to say. I mean, this thing is such a black box. I have no clue why it is sometimes. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not obvious. So I won't even venture a guess as to how long Brass is going to stay there. What about you, Tim? You have any thoughts on the thing? Yeah, I do. Most of most of, you know, people that responded on social media said they thought it was either going to be Arc Nova or some people said Frosthaven. And to be honest, that's my vote. I think Frosthaven is going to finish delivering to backers. It's got a huge rating already. I think more people are going to be loving it and playing it. And I think that's why Gloomhaven's actually dropped a little bit because I think the ratings don't only consist of how many people rated it and what the average rating is, but I think there's a little bit of an element of over time if it doesn't keep getting ratings, then it starts to drop a little bit. And so I think Gloomhaven's getting less plays because people are now excited about Frosthaven. And so I uh, honestly think Frosthaven's going to jump way up there and very, very quickly. Does Arc Nova have a chance? I think it's going to sit there for a while, but you never know. Brass Birmingham was down at five or six for you know a year or two and uh, finally got up to the top. So you never know if, if enough people keep loving and keep playing, keep loving Arc Nova, maybe it'll get up there. I think it's going to be Frosthaven that comes up and I'm going to guess it's going to be six to eight months and and then brass is going to be knocked back out but that's my uneducated guess who knows maybe the next arc nova will come up and jump right up to the number one spot do either of you guys know how long gloomhaven has been at number one yeah it was five years five years wow mm-hmm. yeah hasn't there only been like a handful of number ones in the history of board game geek like 10 or something i think it's like nine or ten and there was yeah. actually a really cool graphic if you didn't see it go check out three minute board games put out put, every couple of years he's done this but he puts out this kind of this visualization of all the bgg top 20 over time where it kind of shows how it shifts over time it's really cool to watch and you can see how some of these games paths of glory i think was up there for a long time and then agricola was up there for a long time so there's just been a handful of games that have that have stuck up there for for very long and gloomhaven's one of the longer runners yeah really had a, a go of it but since i think isaac childress's follow-up is going to be the one that takes it over i think he's got a lot to be proud of for that it's pretty cool. Yeah, that graphic was really interesting. I it was, What I found particularly interesting about it was how the top kind of stayed really steady. Yeah. And the stuff below it was just chaos. I mean, things were going up and down and in and out, but the top ones were pretty steady. I think Puerto Rico was on there for a, a tremendous amount of time, for example. And the ones below it were all just moving up and down and they were all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right, cool. Well, that's uh, what's been going on in board games this week. So let's jump into the games that we've been playing and we're going to start with the tapestry fantasies and futures expansion so the designer of tapestry fantasies and futures was chris scafidi and mike young and the artist was andrew bosley and this was published by stonemeyer games uh, stonemeyer games provided us a preview copy of this expansion so i had a chance to play it and then i mailed it out to chris so chris and i have both had a chance to play this expansion We're going to talk a little bit about it. Now, if you're interested in Tapestry and don't know anything about it, you can go back and listen all the way back to episode 10, where we did a full review and there's a gameplay description of Tapestry. But we're not going to go through all that right now. We're just going to jump right in and talk about what this expansion brings and what we thought of it. So, Chris, you got a chance to play this a bit. How much did you play it? I played it three times. Okay. And before jumping into any of the details, we always say if we get a game as a you know a review copy or we get a free copy from a publisher and part of the reason we say that 
is because we want people to know whether or not there's any potential for bias, right? Mm, yep. Well, the funny thing is here, I am completely biased in this case. And it has nothing to do with the fact that we got a free copy of this. It has to do with the fact that Tapestry is like one of my top games of all time. I mean, one of my top two or three. It's been that way for forever. I think I've probably said it a million times on this show that that game is one of my favorites. So when I got this expansion, I mean, I was rooting hard for it. I was rooting like, I want this thing to succeed. I want to love it. So that's kind of the mindset that I went into when I got this expansion. Yeah, and same for me. You know, when we did our top 10 this year, Tapestry was Chris's number one, and it was my number two game, interestingly, right behind Dune Imperium. So this is a pretty exciting episode for me. You know, this I, I got this game, this uh, expansion and played it four times. So got a chance to see like eight different civilizations in there in use and, you know, a variety of the of the capital cities and the new tapestry cards and things like that. So a decent amount of plays out of it. So let's just jump right into the gameplay and mechanisms. We can do a really quick rundown of the things that this adds because it doesn't add a tremendous amount. It has some variety, but it doesn't add any particularly new areas of play. Really, it comes down to, I think, three things. It added some new civilizations. It added some new capital city mats. And it added a new concept called charms. And the charms are essentially when you play a tapestry card, there is a, a symbol on either the right or the left of it. And depending on where you play it, one or both of those symbols may come into play and you may get a benefit from them as you play your tapestry cards. Oh, and I forgot the end. There's a fifth, potentially a fifth income round where you can stock things up based on what's hap what happens on other cards. Then when the fifth income round comes, you get whatever those things are that have been stocked up. So that's really kind of the extent of what's new in this game. Were there any of those pieces, Tim, that you thought particularly stood out to you as being interesting? This is definitely a more stuff expansion. Like this, this does not drastically change the rules in any way. It's just adding more variety across the board here. I will tell you what my favorite part was. Um, and my favorite part was the capital city mats that came into play here. Now, the arts and architecture expansion kind of did the same thing where it gave you some new capital city mats that had unique uh, layouts, sometimes unique rules with them. And I thought that the capital city mats in the uh, Fantasies and Futures expansion even improved on that. It was fun to see different layouts and new different rules. And I had a fun time playing with each of them and watching each of them being played out. So I really liked the capital city mats here. But Chris, as you said, right, nothing that's really game changing here as far as unique mechanisms or components or anything like this. It's just adding more variety to the stuff we've already played with. Yeah, Tim, I, I completely agree with you. The Capital City mats were pretty exciting. I really enjoyed those. I also really enjoyed the new civilizations. I thought those were fun. I thought the other pieces, the fifth income round and the concept of the charms, I didn't really think added that much. And I really made a point of the games that I played adding in and putting a heavy emphasis on the new material. So I was making sure that I was not just playing with this deck of, you know, like 200 cards and then occasionally pulling out something new, but added a lot of that new stuff in in a smaller deck so that I was, was sure to get at it. And I didn't love those pieces so much. I didn't dislike them, but I didn't think they added much. But I do think the Capital City mats in particular were interesting because they really did provide a twist on what the Capital City mats did. So just for an example, there's one, I think it was called the Netherworld, where you had a central castle and you were trying to use your pieces to connect imps. I think they were like little demons 
back to the city. So essentially, you're trying to reach out from your city and I, I guess attack these imps and knock them out in the netherworld. And, and then you got extra resources. It wasn't just one resource you got. I think it was two resources. There was another map where if you filled in these irregularly uh, shaped uh, zones, then you got a different resource for each zone. So in one, you might have gotten a free upgrade. For one, you might have gotten a free roll of the science dice, that sort of thing. So I thought there was some really interesting divergence there. Like with the other expansion, I think it was primarily the arts and architecture. It added in some newly shaped capital city zones. And I think there were some of them where there were special rules like the, there was one called the Mesa where you had almost no zones or they were very, you know, they're very open and very square, but you couldn't go off the edges, that kind of thing. I thought this one added some really neat variations on that that changed things up a little bit more than the previous expansions had. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the charms in a minute here, but let me talk about the new uh, civilizations. So the civilizations were a lot of fun for me, but one of the things I think they were trying to do with this expansion, I don't know if this is true or not, but it seemed like they were trying to drive more choices to the to the players uh, i think one of the complaints about tapestry in the past has been like yeah i'm kind of stuck at the luck of the draw if i have one or two tapestry cards i can only play with one of those two but i noticed that all of the civilizations tended to give you more opportunities to either draw more tapestry cards or to draw more variety in cards for example one of the uh, civilizations my wife played with one time was called the psionics and this was really cool it was said anytime you get a choice in the game you get two choices. So if you're going to draw a tapestry card, you draw two and you you keep one. If you're going to draw a technology off the top, you draw two and you keep one. If you're going to roll the science die, you draw you do it twice and you keep one of the choices. That was really fun. I mean, it was fun to watch her play it and she seemed to have a great time. She always had something interesting to choose from in all those decisions in the game. But I noticed several of the other ones also just drove you to just pick up more tapestry cards. And so it always felt like there was an extra amount of tapestry cards when playing with these new civilizations in a way that I'd never felt before. And that was that was good. Now, let me talk about these charms, Chris, because you mentioned that it didn't feel like you didn't understand what they were coming from. And here's what I think they were trying to do here. Charms are basically just extra icons on tapestry cards. Sometimes they're on the left-hand side and sometimes they're on the right. And you only get the charm if you play the card adjacent to another tapestry card. So if you play the card adjacent to a tapestry card that's already there, you're going to get the benefit on the left of the card. And if it's already on your mat and then you play a card next to it, you're going to get the benefit that's listed on the right side of the tapestry card. And the goal of this is that you can make some cards that are more valuable early game and you can make some cards more valuable late game. And if you don't play them when they're the most valuable, then you're going to trigger the charm on it. So it's it's always a good, you know, there's always a value to it versus with the base tapestry cards. That's one of the challenges, right? There's some tapestry cards that are just not interesting or fun to play early in the game or just not that useful later in the game. And so this, I think they were trying to solve that problem here. I personally had fun every single time I saw one of those. They felt a tad more powerful than most of the, the tapestry cards that exist already today, which is maybe good or bad if you're concerned about balance. But they were always fun. I always was excited to pick one up and play it because I always knew I was going to hit one of those charm benefits if I played it in the right order, as well as whatever the other thing was. So I, I personally actually enjoyed those. Yeah, and I can see what you're saying. I just didn't. I didn't find them that engaging. I think probably. One of the things that got me here was that I felt spoiled by arts and architecture. It added that new track and it added some really interesting things. And so I was kind of hoping that this expansion was going to do some of that. The charms concept just struck me as a little bit lackluster. I didn't love it. And that's also, I, I want to voice a, a relatively minor complaint about the civilizations, which you were talking about a minute ago. 
I did enjoy them, but my wife had a complaint that I think was was pretty legitimate in that it feels like with all of these new additions, and in this case, particularly the civilizations, it feels like Stonemeyer is driving those decisions by adding what can sometimes feel like a little bit too much complexity, basically just adding more complexity. And for example, uh, the civilization I used in the last game that I played, it was called like the Atlanteans, the people from Atlantis, basically. And the concept there was that you kept getting more tapestry cards and then you would tuck them underneath your mat and you could kind of manipulate the ones that were tucked underneath your mat versus the ones that were in your hand. And then at the end of the game, after income round five, you could keep playing, but the only thing you could do on your turn was to play a tapestry card, which conceptually was pretty interesting, but it was also pretty complicated. And I think for someone who is new to the game, there was a lot of complexity there that wasn't really necessary. And I think I don't want to tip my hand too much to my sort of final thoughts on this one, but for someone who's played this a lot, I thought it was kind of a neat concept. For someone who's not a regular player of this game, I thought it was maybe a little bit needlessly complex. You mentioned the fifth round here where you got to do some stuff after. There's a couple civilizations that did that. I think it was the Merfolk. You called it the Alanians, but I think it was the Merfolk. But there was also um, another civilization that let you keep playing after the fifth round. And both of those were kind of fun decisions. And then there was also a lot of the tapestry cards or, or technology cards that gave you the opportunity to play on the fifth round. And they actually represent that with a, a little card that gets placed over the edge of your player mat and now shows a fifth round. And, you know, it was clever. Um, I would agree that the necessity to add another component to track the fifth round for, you know, what those did for the game wasn't really, you know, that important. But it was a fine little addition if you want variety. And I think, again, that's what this is all about. It's about variety. I think there's probably, you know, the opportunity to draw more tapestry cards in certain situations, the opportunity to get more balanced tapestry cards with the charms. We're maybe trying to fix some balance concerns. But for me, it was just this added a lot of variety, and that was the most important thing for it. Let's jump into the theme and components of this. Now, this is an interesting expansion for Tapestry, just in that in the past, all of the components were basically set on real world, you know, technology, inventions, uh, civilizations, things like this. And with this expansion, everything is kind of fantastical. It's a mix of like fantasy creatures. It's a mix of like sci-fi tropes and, and archetypes. And then it's a mix of there was even like superheroes on one of the tapestry card. So it just adds some fantastical to it. And I actually think that that's great for this game because I think they are leaning into what this game is. And it's a fantastical civilization game. Some of the things that happen in the game in the base game even, are just nonsensical. You can travel to space and then you invent writing later in the game or you invent paper. And it's a funny story to tell, but I think that rubs some people the wrong way. And I think what this does, it just leans in and says, yes, this is a silly world where anything could happen, whether it's fantastical, whether it's futuristic, or whether you're still, you've got cavemen down the street from people flying rockets. Now, are any of these civilizations, these new ones, are they recognizable? Are you like, oh, that's that's the Marvel universe and that's kind of the Dune or these are the Star Wars guys? Is it anything like that? It's mostly generic stuff. So it's like genies, Illuminati, fairies or fey folk, artificers, merfolk, werefolk. So it's like generic fantasy or kind of sci-fi tropes. Now, like I mentioned, there was one tapestry card that was represented as like your superheroes. You know, it was a call out to superheroes, but it, it looked like generic superheroes. It didn't look yeah. like somebody you'd see in the Marvel world or anything like that. Well, I'm with you, Tim. I thought that was great. I thought it was a lot of fun. And I liked I liked the way that 
thematically things tied in to the the concept there. For example, one of the factions that I played with were the Werefolk. As we all know, Werefolk are influenced by the night sky. You know, the moon comes out, the Werefolk come out. I forget exactly how it worked, but there was, uh, you got to, I believe, draw space tiles and then potentially use space tiles when you had the Werefolk. And so it was for one, a nice way to actually pull the the space tiles into the game at an earlier point, because I think that's one of the most fun parts of this game is those space tiles. And you never get to them unless you get to the end of the transportation track, the travel track in the regular game or exploration. I'm probably using the, the wrong term. I thought that was nice that that brought it in. And it was just fun having werewolves howling at the moon and getting <laughs> essentially and getting a benefit for that. I just thought that was a neat thing. The same thing with you know, the fairy folk and the, the artificers and the, uh, the Illuminati and all the ones that you talked about that had these neat little thematic tie-ins and also just kind of created a, a little bit of fun variation. So you might have one civilization is very mundane, very kind of standard, you know, explorers or whatever. And the next player over is, werewolves that's just kind of neat yeah and one of the my favorite factions i got a chance to play was the wee folk which are supposed to be these little you know like gnomes that are kind of helping people out in their house and so what they would do is during your income phase you get to take one of your income buildings off your mat and put it on your opponent that your opponent could put it on their mat so you you get the income benefit from it they'd get a little space filled on their mat but then you'd also get some points if they aligned other buildings with it so it gave them a way to kind of fill in their you know regions of their section their their building a little bit better you're helping them but potentially if they put other buildings next to it then they're helping you and it was a fun puzzle for both of us when uh when I was playing with that so i thought really interesting factions here thematically you know all fun like you said they represent these fantasy races in a really interesting way. I thought it was cool. Thematically also, like a lot of the technologies are futuristic technologies or some mix of fantasy resources or tools or whatever. And the tapestry cards were the same. Now, the last thing about theme and production, I'll say here, because really all we're talking about from a component perspective is cards. It's cards and, and you know new player mats and stuff like that, but it's just cardboard. But this was my favorite of Andrew Bosley's artwork in the tapestry world, because I've, I've always liked Andrew Bosley's artwork, but I always felt like in the first couple of, you know, in the, the base game and the first couple of expansions, you're just getting real world stuff. So it's just Andrew Bosley drawing people, doing people stuff. And now you get to see him drawing fantasy races and sci-fi stuff and superheroes. And that was such a joy for me. It was my favorite Andrew Bosley artwork since Everdell. And I feel like this is where he really shines is when he's kind of doing the fantastical. And I thought it worked really well here. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Andrew Bosley's artwork is a delight. I love it in every game where he does, even games that I don't particularly like. If it has Andrew Bosley's art in it, I enjoy playing it just, just to look at that art. And this game is no exception to that. I've even liked it. Even when there's boring things happen, I enjoy looking at it. But here, there's some really neat stuff going on. It's a lot of fun, and I really do enjoy that. The one other thing that I'll, I'll call out, like you already called it out, but I'm going to double down on it. That whole thing with the round five card, what was that for? I mean, all it does is add a little five on the right side of your board, and it doesn't even add much of a space. I mean, you're tucking it underneath your city map. I, I don't understand why there's even a card for that. Did that, was there any, was that clear to you? I think it was just an intent that when you place resources on it that are supposed to be used in income turn five, there was a clear space for it, probably so people didn't forget about it. So mm. um, it was helpful the couple times I used it, but again, I'm not sure that the overhead and the components were worth 
that particular mechanism, um, you know, what you got out of it in the expansion. I thought it was fine. Uh, it was kind of interesting to see that there was something more interesting going on in your final income turn, which you don't normally get in the base game. Yeah, that was that was probably the kind of the weirdest or clunkiest, but also the only thing that was super unique in the expansion either. Now, there's two more things from a, a component perspective. One is that they did include a full, complete rule book for the base game and all the expansions in with this uh, with this expansion. And that was really cool because they're saying this is the final expansion. So it's awesome. You've got this one little, and it's not a huge rule book, but the original rule book was, they kind of touted as it's four pages long. Mm-hmm. You can learn the whole game from it. And this makes it, I think, a more comprehensible rule book because it's more pages, but it's got the expansion stuff in there. There's not a whole lot of overhead on those, but it's added in a nice way where it's clear to tell if you want to leave the expansions out or not include them all. You can ignore these sections. I, I thought it was great. Now, I didn't have to learn the, the game from it, so I don't know how successful it is at that. But for learning the expansion pieces of it and how to use them in setup and things like that, I thought it worked great. But I think it's a really cool concept. I like the idea of a comprehensive rule book. I hate having to check multiple rule books when you've got expansions. This was a really nice touch that they added in. Yeah, I like that too. In particular, because I mean, I've got, it feels like a whole box full of tapestry, <laughs> tapestry rule books already. There's been one that came with every expansion and the plus the originals, plus the Automa, plus the this and plus the that. Yeah. And so I've got this whole box of other rule books that I can now just take and file away somewhere and never have to look at it again because I have this one neat, tidy little rule book that tells me everything I need to know. And like you said, it's great the way it's laid out that it's got a little code, like it'll say an FF for Futures and fan- futures and fantasies or futures and fables. I keep getting the name wrong in my head. Fantasies and futures. Fantasies and futures. Yeah, there's a little FF or AA for arts and architecture. So you can just scan through it and look everywhere there's an FF or an AA, depending on what components you're playing with. So very, very nicely done on their part. Yeah. One last thing on the back page of the rule book is all of the current updates to the past civilizations where they felt like mm-hmm. they needed to balance it or change it. So it shows that. But there's also a little note at the top that says, by the way, we're working on one final redo of all the civilizations and we'll make those available for pe- for people to replace the original civilization cards when those are done. So they're not ready yet, but I can tell you we've been playing Tapestry on Board Game Arena and they're starting to put those in as playable factions. You can play with the adjustments and I, I am really excited about some of the adjustments to some of the original ex- uh, factions. They make they don't just change them from a balance perspective, but they actually make them very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. So if they end up coming out the way that they do in Board Game Arena, I'm excited to get that update pack eventually when it's available. Chris, what do you think about the packaging on this expansion? I was, you know, it's funny you say that. I was just going to say, I know that you had had some back and forth with Jamie Stegmeyer about this, but they sent it not in a box, but in an envelope. And tell us a little bit about what Jamie said about that, because I thought it was actually quite brilliant. Yeah. So when he when he sent it, um, you know, I received this as a preview copy and just in an envelope with a label on the front that showed kind of what the box cover would look like. I, so I asked him, I was like, is this what people are going to get in retail? And he said, yes. And the, the intent was most people throw away their expansion boxes anyway. I do. And I was so happy to be able to open this up, take the components out, mix it in with my base box, and then I could just throw the envelope out. Of course, I didn't because I put it all back in and mailed it to Chris. But the point is, is that it's, you know, much less uh, environmentally impactful, right? You're, you're not just, and in fact, I just heard recently that most board game boxes aren't even recyclable because of the finish that's put on them. And so this is something that's recyclable. You can just throw it in the trash. There's not a whole bunch of waste. There's not a whole bunch of extra space from a shipping perspective. And I think the cost on this expansion is pretty reasonable. And part of that might be because it's cheaper to ship. 
Jamie Stegmeyer also said that when they when you pre-order it from them, they just stick a label on the back, your your shipping label on the back of the package, and just ship it to you right in that. So they don't even have to put extra packaging around it. So I think it's genius. I do think it's going to be a little bit of a turnoff for some people. There are completionists. I've seen people shell these where they where they keep the expansion boxes. And I also could see being in a retail store and being like, hey, I've got to pick between plans and ploys or I got to pick between fantasies and futures. One of them is in this nice box and the other one's in a little envelope, which is going to make me more excited. So it'll be interesting. It's an interesting experiment, I think. And it'll, it, it'll be interesting to see how people react to it. But for my money, I will take an expansion in a envelope anytime because I don't want that extra box and I don't want to have to throw stuff away. I think that is so environmentally refreshing. I hope that starts a new trend. We don't need all these freaking boxes, especially that are like 50% air. Send it in an envelope, seal it tight, protect the stuff. Let me pack it in the other box and I can have minimal trash or even compostable and I'll feed it to the worms. Yeah, totally. Well, it, unfortunately, I think it's probably not something we're going to see a ton of because I think he had also mentioned to you that the only reason this was possible was because there were no bulky components in it. It was all cards. Yeah. It was all flat. And so if you had anything other than that, you wouldn't be able to do this kind of packaging. So this wouldn't have worked for any of the other expansions because they all had some bulky components to them. And and that's fine because you're right. I mean, it may be that some people get turned off by this. And so maybe that seeing this occasionally will make it a little bit more palatable for folks. And to some degree, I get it. I, mean, I like having boxes. I think boxes look nice. Frankly, I don't keep my expansion boxes, but I still like the idea of having a chunky box in my hand. But at the same time, I hope people are able to look at this and see past that and appreciate the content of it rather than the packaging that it comes in. Because I, it really is, I think, a great thing that Stonemeyer is doing by putting this out the way that they did, environmentally conscious in a way that I have seen rarely in the industry. Yeah. All right. Well, there was uh, one last thing in the envelope that I got, and I think you'll get it with every expansion, and that is that there were some arts and architecture cards with some minor misprints on them, and uh, there were replacement cards in with this expansion. So if you have arts and architecture very minor misprints. You can play around them, but they did, they, you know, it was a nice uh, extra include here. So that is pretty much what you can expect to get in the Fantasies and Futures expansion from Tapestry. So I think what we're going to do here really quickly is just rate the Tapestry expansions and give our final thoughts at the same time as we're talking about you know, how this fit in. So Chris, why don't you start? I have a hard time ranking these because I think they fit different needs. And let me take a step back here and say, one of the things that the base game of Tapestry suffered from is a lot, a lot of sameness. That when you start playing the tab, the base game of Tapestry, as brilliant as it is, and as much as I love it, you start seeing the same things over and over and over again. So one of the things that's been nice about the expansions is not just that they've added new concepts and new mechanisms but they just added more content. And I think that's actually been something that's that's really useful. And especially for people who want to play this game and want to play it a lot, if you've got a game that's already kind of prone to sameness, having some variety in there I think is, is super beneficial. And I, for one, am someone who wants to play this game. I always want to play this game. I love it. I want to play it over and over again. And so as I think about the different expansions, I'm thinking about what did that really add and was it something that was necessary? Is it something that I would introduce to a new player? Do I think that it's, you know, it's a must-have expansion? And so I think, first of all, that the base game itself is great. So if I was playing this with a first-timer, I would probably play this game 
with just the basic core game. I think if I was adding in one that I would call a must-have, it would probably be the plans employees because that added some very minor new concepts, really not even new concepts. It had that one additional building, you know, uh, the personal landmark, and then it added in some new cards. And I, so I think that one, I probably, I'm going to take back my earlier statement. If I was playing this with somebody for the first time, I'd probably leave in the stuff from Plans Employees. So I think Plans Employees is almost, almost necessity in the same way that Prelude is almost a necessity in uh, Terraforming Mars. I think Arts and Architecture added some really, really big changes because it added in a whole new track. And in a way, it busts the game wide open because now all of a sudden, you're not just looking at these four tracks, you have a whole other fifth track. There are some games where if you play it right, you can actually get up several of the tracks in the the four track game. But once you add the fifth one, you're starting to make a lot of much harder decisions. You're having to make some real strategic choices that are, I think, more difficult than you you have when you when you play the base game. Plus it adds in the income that comes from the masterpiece cards. So there's a whole lot of new stuff that got added in there. I don't think that's something that I would add in when playing it with a new player because it adds in a pretty significant amount of complexity and it adds in a whole new rule set. I also don't think it's a necessity. It's something that I, as a a relatively seasoned frequent player, want to add in sometimes or even frequently because it adds a lot more capacity to the game. Now, this last expansion, I think, sadly, I would have to say that even though I enjoyed it, it's probably the least essential of the three in my book. So if I had to, if I had to leave one out, this is probably the one. Now, having said that, I also don't want to leave too much of a negative impression of it because I didn't, my impression of it overall was not negative. I felt like if you're someone who wants to play this game a lot, any opportunity to add new things to the game, to add new opportunities and to add new variety. I think all of that is great. And even in the places where I felt like it got a little bit overly complicated, I honestly didn't care because I like that as someone who plays the game frequently. And so it was a little bit more of a a brain burner, a little bit more of a puzzle. But this is one that I certainly would not play with someone who was new to the game. My wife, who actually has played it quite a few times and almost always beats me actually thought that that was a little bit overly complicated and didn't enjoy that as much. So we had very different takes on that. So I think in descending order, if I had to rate them, I would say plans employees is probably the must have. I'd say that's my, my favorite in that sense. Arts and architecture. I think when you've really kind of gotten your fill of the base game and you want to expand out to something new, that's the one you get. And then if you're saving your money and you don't want to buy them all at once, or if you're not sure yet, you haven't played enough of this game and you want to explore it a little bit more before investing in anything new, I think this most recent expansion is probably the one you want to hold off on. But if you're someone who loves this game and wants to keep adding new content, I think that everything that was added in there adds fun to the game. And I think it's a worthy investment. Yeah, I have a slightly different take than you do. I mean, I enjoy all three of these expansions. And because I love to play the game, and I like variety, I'm glad to own all three of them. In fact, I don't own the uh, the fantasies and futures expansion because I sent it to Chris, but I will be pre ordering it as soon as it's available. So I really enjoyed it. I think if you're going to get one expansion, because you want to change up the game, you got to get arts and architecture. It not only adds a new component, but it also gives you the plans cards, which is something kind of the only really unique thing that came in the plans employees expansion. 
And so if I was going to get one expansion, I'd get that. You get some unique Capital City mats. You get cool new sieves. You get the plans cards. And you get the new track. And you can use those modularly. You don't have to use them all. That's going to give you everything to really change the game drastically in different ways. If I was going to buy a more stuff expansion, personally, I would pick the Fantasies and Futures expansion over the Plans and Ploys expansion. I like them both, but Fantasies and Futures added new Capital City mats, which I think is a more important thing that was missing from the base game and that Plans and Ploys doesn't add. The Plans module is nice, but you can get that in the Arts and Architecture expansion. I also really just love the fantasy and sci-fi artwork and uh, you know, new civilizations and things that are going to just mix up the game and make it not feel like a like a kind of a plain real world civilization game. So this was my number two fantasies and futures and plans and plays is great. Again, if you want more variety, but if I'm going to do a more stuff one, I would do fantasies and futures first. I thought it was a fantastic expansion. It did give you more choices throughout the game. And by the way, from a complexity perspective, I taught my wife this game finally just because I had this expansion. I wanted to play test it and I want to be able to play it multiple times. And uh, so I taught Tapestry to her one time with just the base game. And then we started adding this stuff in. And I agree, the civilizations are a little bit wordier. But once I kind of explained what they did, she didn't have any trouble tracking them and didn't feel they were overly complicated. So I don't know that they're really more complicated, but there's a little bit more to absorb on a first play. So yeah, that's how I would rate them. I think this is a really fun expansion, but absolutely not critical. I mean, you, you can get all the stuff that's in here and other expansions or even just in the base game but it did add a lot of fun for me so let's jump into the next expansion we were highlighting tonight and this is a game that we did just finish playing right before we started recording this and this is dune imperium with the immortality expansion we happen to play with both the rise of x and immortality expansion in one big game but this was all of our first play playing with immortality we played on tabletop simulator tonight dune imperium was designed by Paul Denon. And if you're interested in our original take and description of that game, you can listen to episode 20, where we covered Dune Imperium. We also did a full episode on the Rise of Ix when that came out. And that was the first time we ever covered an expansion. So it's fun to revisit here with the second expansion from the Dune Imperium series. This was also designed by Paul Denon and published by Direwolf Studios. The artwork was done by Clay Brooks and Nate Storm. So let's talk about Dune Imperium Immortality. Well, first of all, it was fantastic to get back to Dune Imperium. It's been a while since I've played it, so I was happy to get back into it. And this expansion, the Immortality expansion, the first thing you notice is this Honeycomb Tech Track that uh, is a new feature of the game. You have these um, these cylinders. You're deciding which way to go. The first step, you got to go one way, and then you can branch out north or south and take these different little benefits. And these represent sort of the genetic advancement of your civilization or doing deals with these uh, very smart biological society. So I thought that tech board right there was easy to understand. It was super intuitive. It provided some nice options. You had this different uh, slew of cards that was associated with that. And that's the thing that pops out right away. I'm going to talk about those cards as well, but I'm going to pause right here and let uh, Chris take the reins. Yeah, I that tech track, not even sure you call it a tech track because it didn't really give you new technologies. It added spaces where you could get benefits and some of the benefits let you buy cards that were sort of a, a new market row, a mini market row where you used specimens instead of dollars or solaria, whatever it's called, to buy them. I didn't actually, I didn't use that too much. And I 
don't know if that's because it wasn't necessary or because I wasn't playing it right or if there was just you know you you pick your strategies but you know interestingly I, because I knew we were going to be doing this episode tonight every time I thought about that track I thought about the arts and architecture track on tapestry because it felt like a very similar kind of thing adding in a new track that lets you go off in a different direction and now creates a much more significant level of complexity in terms of the choices that you're making. Where now, instead of picking one or two branches of a path you might go down, all of a sudden you're you're really busting your decision space wide open, I thought. Or at least that's the way it felt to me. Now, I'll also say that I have kind of a, a mixed history with Dune in that I, this is a game where I just cannot crack the code on it. I have lost every game of this that I've ever played, including with people who are brand new to the game. And I've played it multiple <laughs> times. I still can't win. So um, with this, it felt like it added a, a very significant opening of that decision space to the point where you have to make some pretty sophisticated decisions, I think, relatively early on in the game about which way you want to proceed before you start down any particular road in a way that I don't think I felt in the base game or in the X expansion. I think that's complete nonsense, Chris, because I had no plan on what I was doing for most of this game and would just find ways, you know, to just use the choices I had. Here's the deal with this expansion, right? Like it adds a new board, it adds a new set of cards, but it doesn't drastically change any mechanisms. What it does though, is it makes so many more choices for different things to do in the game. And that's the, that's the key of these expansions. You know, Dune Imperium was a super fun game, but it started to feel samey to me after just a few plays. Great game still. It could have kept playing it, but it always felt like it was pretty standard choices to make. You move up the tracks to get points, you win combats to get points, and that's the game. And you read the Rise of X expansion, and all of a sudden, there's so many more choices on different directions to do, so many more strategies to pursue with the technologies you add, with the new cards that are shifted in. I thought with this first play of Immortality, it just blew that up even further. It was so cool to see that every time I was making a choice, I had like three different directions I could go down if I wanted to pursue a strategy. But I definitely didn't make those choices at the beginning of the game, which is what you were kind of indicating what I found is that throughout the game, it was tactical choices. It was trying to set up for a, a core strategy, right? You can do that a little bit with deck building, but in a deck building game with four players where the, the market rows are shifting drastically, you're kind of just stuck with what's available, a couple choices every time. And so you do the best you can with what you've got there. That's my type of game. I love a game where the, it's a tactical choice all the time and you just make the best of it. And I think adding immortality just gave you a few more tactical choices to make. And, and for me, it was great. So we talked about the cards a little bit. They have this grafting mechanism, which I thought was fantastic. It's almost an instant synergy for these cards. They all allow you to play a card in conjunction with them, giving your, your agent, your worker, a few more options for which space they can go to, which sometimes that felt so restrictive to me. You didn't have enough options for a worker to go to. Like you needed to go to the green space to get the Mintad, but you only had little triangles. You had to go get the Dune, uh, go mine some spikes or whatever it was. So I loved that little new deck of cards and that little mini market row Chris was talking about. I thought that was a very cool addition to the game. Yeah, I did like the grafting part. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but I, I want to go back to Tim's nonsense comment because <laughs> because that, that needs a response. Now, I, you know, one of the things that strikes me in talking about these two expansions side by side, it's actually really interesting to me because I think 
my experience of them is that they are both very similar in a lot of ways. And your reaction to them is largely going to depend upon that same thing I was talking about with tapestry. It's whether or not you want to have that decision space. Because yeah, I mean, there's lots of decision space in there. And I agree that, you know, there's this wide world of, you know, of opportunities that opens up. And Tim's reaction to that is, wow, this is so great. Look at all these new choices. And my reaction to that is, I don't want all those new choices. (laughs) I'm still trying to get down the basic part of it. So, you know, a lot of this, a lot of your reaction to this particular expansion might have a lot to do with where you sit with the base game. So, you know, and if this was a game that I had played, you know, dozens of times and was starting to feel that sameness and wanted to have more variety, that may well have been a much more desirable expansion. I think it was much less so because I, like I said, I hadn't cracked the code of the base game yet. So maybe that's something that would come in time. But at this point, it felt a little bit too sandboxy too. Okay. Well, here's to respond to that, Chris. I will say I felt like that when I played The Rise of Ix. I felt like there was too many choices, but I also felt like you had to do the same couple of things over and over. You had to go get your your two dreadnoughts if you want to be involved in the combat. You had to go get two influence with the guild space if you want to go up that weird shipping and come back home track mechanism but here i felt like this immortality expansion meshed everything together so well with little overhead and is just a very intuitive easy way to play the game and it made everything that was already there stronger and more interesting so this expansion for me was absolutely fantastic you mentioned the dreadnoughts in this game i didn't have a single dreadnought and you guys had these huge forces in fact adam had the you know the civilization or the leader or whatever that made his dreadnoughts even more powerful. So him and Chris are throwing out 15 to 20 to 25 power every turn after like turn four, turn five. I never had a chance at a combat. There was no way I was going to get any points in the combat in this game. And yet I still tied for, for first place or, you know, lost first place on the tiebreaker, made it to 10 points with it. And that's what's so exciting about that, right? With this game, it's no longer just like I have to go down that, but you can go down that path and it can be really fun to just win combats. I would go to combat and either just get the third place thing or sometimes have an intrigue card that let me sacrifice guys from there to get some benefit. And I had such a fun time playing around in this unique space that didn't exist prior to, you know, prior to the new expansion, prior to immortality. And again, Rise of X added some of that. It added some unique ways to go. You can do the shipping path. You can do technologies. You know, technologies was such a cool thing in Rise of X because you, you finally had this new direction to go. And immortality just builds on that by giving you these these new cards that you can add to your deck and you're going to get more cards in your deck. But I should mention that that was almost a negative for me. You know, in, in the past, I always felt like, yeah, you don't get to add that many cards to your deck. You're cycling through them this, this so quickly. Well, now instead of adding one or two cards per reveal phase, you're adding, you know, maybe three because you also have the cards coming from, from the Ixolotl track or whatever it's called. And uh, <laughs> Adam's laughing at me. Did I mispronounce that? The mini market. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it, it was just cool, right? So you, you get more cards to add. But then all of a sudden my deck is this this huge bloated monster and I felt like I was never getting the cards I wanted out of it. So I could definitely, I would want to refine better in the future because of that. I'd want to find 
ways to scrap cards or use them more efficiently or just not buy cards that aren't aren't going to be effective for my strategy. You know, I would say that that was a little disappointing to me. I was actually hoping for those cards to make the game more fun, and I'm not sure they did. The variety in the cards did, but I'm not sure the opportunity to add more did. I think it absolutely made the game more fun. I think you do have to be more selective and start thinking about, hey, how's this card going to work with this other card? And how's this going to work? You know, how is it all going to work together? And there was multiple times where I had a little extra money and I elected not to buy a card because I didn't want to bloat my deck too much. So I'd rather have it that way where I can be like, mm, I'm going to pass on this one rather than uh, I only have $2 this time and all I can do is buy this Arrakis liaison who's not going to help me out at all. So I really enjoyed the freedom to pick and choose a little more uh, with those markets. Along with that, another mechanism was that family atomics little one-time use per game that lets you clear that imperium row and wipe the market put five new cards out there so say you only have three or four i forget what the money money to buy more cards and there's nothing good out there nothing that works with your plan or maybe chris is coming up after you and there's a perfect card for chris and you can wipe all those cards out of there and maybe sneak in with some of these little new lower costing cards that might just fit into your whole scheme perfectly. I love that little atomics card. Simple mechanism, again, easy to understand, but super effective and fun. Yeah, I, I like that too. Unfortunately for me, I use mine a little bit too soon, I think, in this game. <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> At his first round, I think I was like, Chris, you sure you want to use that sword? Yeah. This is the right time to use it. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, the funny thing is that it might have been the one actually useful card that I bought in the game was the was the one that I got because I used the atomic bomb. So maybe that was the right thing to do. As someone who loves deck building games, I was so ashamed of myself for sitting there at one point having like all four factions in my hand at the same time and going, what, what in the world am I doing here? Uh, I'm, I'm actually curious. In your games, what about that track? Like, what was the, what was the thing that happened on those tracks that most affected your game strategy? Because I'm thinking back to it, and uh, I'm I'm honestly not sure. I'm not sure what it was. What would have driven one strategy going down those particular tracks? Yeah, that's a good question. <clears throat> um, you know, it gave you a variety of bonuses, so it's hard to, to measure one specific thing. Obviously, one of the things you're getting from it was the um, the specimen, specimen you know, cubes, yeah. which you could spend for other cards. I ended up getting one of my points and a couple intrigue cards from that top track. So it was kind of a neat way to just play with more intrigue cards and uh, gave me an opportunity to get some points that I couldn't get from the, um, you know, from the combat because I was never going to win those conflicts against you. But beyond that, <clears throat> I kind of bounced around that, that research track and went to a few different spaces. And, you know, it's just always a fun turn when I got to move up there and get some bonus for it. So I'm not sure, Chris, maybe it didn't impact anything, but it gave me a track to move up and it gave me bonuses. So I'll take it. <laughs> and that's all you need. For me, it gave, for me, it gave me more options. It, um, a couple of things this expansion does too. It throws out a couple of boring cards, original starter deck, and mm -hmm. it gives you these microscope cards, the research yeah. ones. So maybe you want to scrap a card and, oh, this microscope will let me uh, zip my little track guy over this space that lets me scrap a card and I get to add a cube. Oh, that's like the third cube I have. Now I can buy a little dung beetle and slide my guy up the top Benny Talelax thing. Oh, I just got a point and a couple spice out of there. Like, like Tim was saying earlier, that tactical puzzle, a few more things to play around with, to rack your brain with. How am I going to make this work with the cards that I have? There's just a few more options to tie those things together and 
And that was a great fun puzzle for me rather than just the, it was a little static um, without this track. I thought just the, the different directions you could go, just enough extra choice to try to mend things together to have a, a fun turn. I'm glad you called out those cards that replaced the starting ones because those were super fun. Like, you know, when you're starting deck includes your, the only card you ever want to draw is your signet card. And beyond that, the rest of it's crap. You just want to get rid of it. But those cards were fun. They were fun choices, whether you were doing a reveal and getting the extra specimen or whether you were using the microscope card. It was it was just more fun to have those in your hand and to play with them than the, the normal uh, whatever doing the desert planet cards were that they replaced. So I think that alone made it uh, made it fun. But beyond that, just, the, you know, the main Imperium row, just the variety of cards that came up in there. Yeah. And we'll get into this in the theme in production, but the variety of artwork and just different styles of creatures and people and things that you got to see with those new cards uh, definitely made the game feel more weird and, and interesting. And I, I've, I've never, you know, read any of the the books past the first of Dune. And I wonder that the world seems like it goes in some weird places based on this expansion. Yeah. We're diving into theme here. I can't add much. I don't, I haven't read the books either, but I've, you know, um, there's a scene in the movie where you first see the Baron and there's that weird spider human thing in the, Benny Gesserit lady yells at it and is like, gets all scared and kind of scrapples away. So imagine, you know, more of that kind of strange, funky creature and humans emerging sort of, uh, you know, birthing from these different tanks and stuff falling out and slimy and kind of like those orcs in Lord of the Rings. I'm just getting as nerdy as I can, throwing as many nerd references as I can there. Do it, man. But these slimy, goopy people, you know, being genetically altered and coming out of these eerie just tanks the art was bringing me in and it was just creepy enough and there's little like bubbles and cells and dna going on here so i thought that was pretty fun two words for you chair dog chair dog there was actually there was actually a card in there called the chair dog steve had to look it up steve's read the books and, and he was looking this up and apparently there are these dogs that are bred to be the shape of chairs and they massage you when you sit in them I'm not making this up. This is actually really in the game. Um, I did not hallucinate that. No, but that, that's, a, that's a great example of just the kind of weird direction this goes off in. And honestly, I thought it was really cool. Some of the cards that were in this game are super creepy looking. Like there was one with mm-hmm. Talalak's uh, surgeon. It's this guy. looks like he's coming at you with these weird goggles on and a chainsaw. And there was the dog and there's there's all kinds of interesting things happening. I love dark, weird art. And this was dark, weird art. I thought that was a lot of fun. The the new track, I, I don't think the new track was anything particularly exciting. It was a honeycomb. It was perfectly functional. But I thought the, the story of the expansion from a, a theme and production standpoint was clearly the, the new art on the cards. And I thought that was great. Yeah, it definitely added something that was not just like dudes wrapped up in cloths in a desert, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what yep. most of the artwork was in the original <laughs> uh, game. And now it, it definitely has some more variety and that was fun. Cool. Well, let's jump into the final question. And would you request to play this? And uh, and then you can add into your thoughts as well, how you feel about this compared to the Rise of X expansion. Yeah, I would definitely request to play this one again. I think it fits nicely with the Rise of Ix expansion. It'd be interesting. I don't know if I'd ever play this one without the Rise of Ix in there. That might be interesting to try that out. But I think the combination of the two expansions and the base game might be my preferred way to play from here on out. 
What I'm not so sure about is just the base game and the Rise of Ix, those two together. There's something about that that just feels weird. I think that shipping track isn't super exciting to me. And the Dreadnoughts, it just seems kind of like a little bit rote where you're going to get the Dreadnoughts and you're going to get a guild space two and get the influence and do the thing. So I think this, I think all the expansion, throw them all in there if it's not too much choice for you, Chris. And then you have a these interesting puzzles to figure out. You can piece your way through. There's enough good cards in the starting deck to get you going in these different directions. And the fun starts right away for me. So yes, I would. it's going to be my preferred way to play is is all the expansions here for Dune Imperium. My answer is sure, I'd play it again. I'm not sure I would ask to play this one again, but I think I would say yes to it if if asked. In terms of how this fits in with the base game and the X expansion, I think there's a, at least there, there's a very clear answer for me. And that is that the base game, those couple of spaces that get covered over by the X expansion, the ones where you're like, you're buying and selling the spice. I find those to be kind of worthless. And so I think the mm-hmm. X expansion is almost a necessity at this point. I would not want to play this game without the X expansion if I had the opportunity. I would play base, the base game if that was all that was available. But if X is available, I want to play X. I feel a lot less definitive about this expansion. I didn't feel like it added a whole lot that I needed to experience. I feel like I could happily play a bunch more games of the base game with the X expansion before needing to have the variety that this expansion brought. And there may come a time if I played it often enough that I would feel the need for that variety. But at this time, it just felt like a little bit more than I needed. And so my preferred method at this point would be base game and X. And then, I, yeah, I think that this one, I, I wouldn't object to playing it, but it wouldn't be my first choice. Well, I really had fun with it. I think the Rise of X expansion was necessary to make Dune Imperium a top tier game. Like you needed a little bit more variety in the strategies and decisions and and things like that. And now it is with, with Rise of X. I wonder if we just played with Immortality, if that would give me the same feel. And I think it might. I think, to be honest, it might also give you enough different decisions, but add them all together. And that's a fun game for me. That's a whole lot of choices, but does add probably way too much complexity for somebody you're teaching on the first time or first couple times. Um, it depends on the person, I suppose. But uh, I like playing it with it. I would always choose to play it again. Our game went long tonight. You guys were playing slow as hell. I don't know. Were you, was, was it too many des- decisions or were you guys sleepy or something? Because that game took four hours and there was no reason for that. So that's my only concern about it. But I don't think it was the expansion. I think it was you guys. Uh, and I think that was us guys reacting to the expansion. <laughs> I, I don't know. We put this high stakes on league scoring. Now. I got to try hard. <laughs> and see how these cards all work together. So yeah, it does add some extra crunch. There are some more decisions to make. So that, you know, that can hammer itself out in uh, in a longer playtime yeah. for sure. Anyway, I enjoyed all four hours of it, even if I was sitting there on my hands most of the time because I I never got my sword master and you guys were taking like five more turns than me. But still had fun with it. All right, well, that will wrap up our conversations on these two expansions tonight. So until next week, take care, everybody. Good night, all. Bye-bye.